just uh, listening to uh, Xander's request for the Dhamma talk and thinking, oh, maybe we just have him do that a few times and call it an evening. <laughs> it's such a uh, uh, nice quality of timber and pitch and enthusiasm. <clears throat> Uh, admiring the uh, uh, fortitude of the people who just came back uh, from a long day in the car and time at uh, Fremont Monastery with uh, paying respects to Lungpa Mahaprasert uh, driving back all the way starting early this morning and still having the uh, energy uh, to come to uh, evening puja <clears throat> based on a strong intention, uh, I think, to uh, practice Dhamma. Thinking about uh, what to talk about uh, this evening uh, and um, reinforced uh, with some of the tea time discussions we had, uh, maybe talk a little bit about uh, a mental quality that's uh, at play in our lives uh, pretty much most of the time that we're engaging in uh, our activities of the world, the quality of intention. And it's come up uh, a fair amount uh, recently for us because uh, we've started our uh, Vinaya classes, uh, which we traditionally do through the Vasa period, this three-month period um, of the Vasa, uh, with a lot of classes, readings, uh, discussions on the Buddhist monastic code, uh, the precepts that we follow uh, as, as monastics, which of course tie in very closely with the precepts that everybody follows as a, as a Buddhist practitioner, whether lay or monastic. And one of the um, qualities that often comes up in the discussions uh, around um, the rules of training uh, is this quality of intention. There are many factors that are discussed uh, in the in the Vinaya. Many um, aspects of each of the of the rules of training uh, as to determine whether a certain action is is considered to be an offense, like a breaking of a, of a rule, uh, or not, or the or the level of severity of the offense uh, is oftentimes the quality of intention behind any of these actions of body or speech uh, is a determinant factor. Um, And intention is also uh, not only just a factor in terms of um, whether something's an an offense or not, but also just in the quality of... uh, the result of any action that we have, um, whether it's by speech or by action in the body, the quality of intention has a large determining factor, is a large determining factor for the results that will come from that uh, action on an internal level especially. It's, a motivating, it's the motivating force behind the law of kama. So intention, the Pali word jetana, uh, is uh, something that uh, we often take a very close look at. 
the, the rules that we follow uh, for behavior, uh, for our body and our speech, um, are not just rules to follow uh, because they seem like they should be, they're good things to do. Uh, there's some sort of external definition of morality that says this is right, this is wrong. Uh, it is that to, to some extent, but it's also uh, the practice of virtue, practice of sila, not just following rules for the sake of following rules, but for developing that transformation of the heart uh, that leads to peace and skill uh, and goodness uh, on an interior level. So it's using certain standards of, of activity, behavior, speech, that also support that purity uh, in the heart, purity in the mind, that allows one to establish a strong foundation for uh, the path to liberation. Without it, um, there's really no, uh, no firm uh, standing uh, for us as we, as we pick up the other aspects of the practice, like meditation, development of discernment. So it's uh, important to see the effects of uh, our activities, uh, of body and speech especially, uh, and, and the rules that we follow, the precepts that we follow. important to see the effect that it has in the mind. And oftentimes uh, there are very clear standards uh, that become apparent um, uh, it, it, it helps us, uh, these, these uh, standards of behavior help us to see very clearly the quality of intention in our mind um, because we uh, sometimes have to restrain uh, our behaviors uh, in keeping the precepts. And uh, by not acting blindly on impulses that come up uh, and having a bit of restraint in what we say and how we act uh, forces us to see these uh, pushes in the mind, these internal forces uh, that are always at play that determine uh, how we experience the world. So uh, the restraints of, of following the precepts uh, are a very clear mirror for us to see this quality of, of intention. What is it that, uh, what, what is the mind pushing me to do? Because this quality of intention is a, is a force, it's a push. It's this rising up uh, to take some sort of action. Uh, and you can feel it, as, especially as your meditation practice develops, as the mind quiets. Then uh, you can start to see these surges of energy moving in a, in a kind of a direction to take action. It's the precursor of, of uh, most of our um, uh, actions of body and speech. And if we get to know that surge of energy uh, as it's starting to arise, then uh, before we take action that's going to result in some, something that we're going to be regretting later on, some uh, uh, unskillful kind of experience or, or behavior, um, if we're aware of the intentional energy that's arising before it, uh, oftentimes we can uh, stop it uh, from happening and so that we don't, uh, experience the consequences of uh, un- unskillful behavior.
So uh, looking at intention uh, as a basis for these, these precepts or as our actions uh, can be quite uh, a skillful uh, practice. It's also useful to um, kind of tease out uh, the difference between uh, another between intention and another mental quality called motivation, because uh, sometimes we think of them as the same thing, but there are some uh, differences between them. Um, so let's say you have a, a an action um, that causes you do an action that causes some harm. Uh, just to use an example, uh, walking down the path, uh, and it's, maybe it's dark or it's nighttime or your attention is somewhere else, and you uh, step on a lizard and kill it. Um, there, is a, uh, there is an action there that's caused harm, um, but uh, there was no intention uh, to kill that, that lizard. So in a sense, there's no karmic effect from having uh, unintentionally... Uh, uh, killed a lizard, unless you were just being incredibly careless uh, and not watching at all where you're going, then there might be a slight kind of reverberation from the carelessness. But uh, just generally speaking, uh, no intention, uh, no karmic result uh, in that in that kind of instance. But if you're walking down the path and you see a lizard and you hate lizards and you feel like the world should be completely rid of lizards and you step on it and annihilate it... <laughs> Not a likely thing to do, but uh, but if you were to do that, then then yes, the the karmic effects of of taking life uh, intentionally uh, will be much greater. Uh, by the way, don't do that because our lizards carry uh, this kind of enzyme that neutralizes Lyme disease, so they're our friends. Um, but uh, but you can see the quality of uh, intention to kill uh, is present or not present, uh, depending on um, our state of mind uh, when that event happens. So that's a, a time when uh, you know, an action that results in something that's harmful is, is not actually uh, consequential in terms of kama. It's also good to tease out the difference between, say, motivation and intention, and just using that as an example... Um, or the, that uh, particular activity of, of taking life as an example. Um, oftentimes, um, it's discussing like, well, what about, like, say, the taking of a human life? Um, are there some circumstances when uh, that's uh, justifiable and that there's uh, not a, an unskillful uh, or a, a, a negative result? Um, so that um, you know the example sometimes given of of taking life out of out of compassion for uh, someone who's experiencing say uh, deep pain or difficulty or is in the dying process or uh, mental difficulty uh, in that process is there a justification um, for uh, taking life ending it sooner than it would naturally occur and it's good to tease out that. Uh, Difference. I say, well, that's a. Some people would say, oh, well, that's a compassionate intention. But actually, in the Buddha's language, uh, intention generally uh, is referring to the intention to take some sort of action. So, whether it's 
and, and the motivation is a different factor. So there's a motivation, say, of taking life that could be uh, uh, very, un- very, very unskillful in terms of if it's based in anger and hatred and rage uh, and the wish to, uh, say, annihilate somebody who uh, is causing you problems and it moves to that action of, of killing, then the karma consequence uh, is, is very... Uh, significant because uh, the motivation behind the intention to kill uh, is very negative. Um, but say somebody takes uh, life during a, you know, let's say an assisted suicide uh, for a uh, terminal illness, there is still that intention uh, to kill. And even with a, a compassionate motivation, there will be uh, consequence uh, from just stopping the life force, the life faculty, stopping that uh, unnaturally uh, ahead of the natural life force, according to the Buddhist teachings. Um, the motivation uh, being one to relieve pain or relieve suffering um, will have a different result karmically um, in that it wouldn't be probably as severe uh, a result karmically as as it would be if it was out of anger. Yet there will still be a reaction, a consequence. Um, Naturally taking life for for even a compassionate motivation still will have a a consequence of some sort. What it will be, very hard to say. Um, Very, very, very hard to say. Um, So motivation does have a mitigating uh, quality to it. Uh, and is different from intention. So these are the the uh, kinds of things that we've been discussing, say in our in our Vinaya classes. Um, you know, we still establish our intention not to take life uh, for any means. You know, but we can establish an intention to relieve suffering in any way that we can um, through skillful means. Uh, so our actions really point us always back to what's the mental quality behind it? What's the intention? What's the motivation? Uh, How can we uh, uh, be aware of what we're doing uh, before and while we're doing it uh, so that um, the actions we do take, whether body or speech, are the most skillful possible and will cause the least repercussions uh, through the through our hearts, through our minds, uh, as possible, so that we don't have to second guess. We don't have to um, uh, constantly rehash, re, re go through the stories all over again uh, many times to uh, quell any doubts that we might have or questions about our motivation. And a lot of it is is just taking uh, care and time. Uh, developing mindfulness, as, as uh, Janjanika was talking about the other night, the quality of mindfulness, the skillfulness of developing mindfulness and clear comprehension to help us uh, slow down the process of, of blind reaction or blind action uh, to really see the underlying mental qualities that are driving us uh, uh, throughout our daily daily lives. Uh, kind of along that whole line of, of uh, 
you know, life support. And uh, I have a, have had a very strong uh, memory of the time when my father was on life support after uh, in in a terminal illness and and um, emergency and went to the hospital and they put him on life support and then it was up to us to figure out whether to keep him on it or take him off of it and this was before I was a monk uh, was working as a as a hospice nurse and I had a very strong uh, sense of you know knowing that his life was coming to a close uh, and not wanting to prolong it and he had I had had many discussions about how he definitely did not want to be on life support when his time was was coming and so I felt quite clear and quite certain uh, and uh, that that's what we needed to do uh, and uh, I think had a fairly strong influence on the decision of my family members, his wife uh, and my siblings uh, to do that uh, to uh, take that action to withdraw from life support because it wasn't cutting off the life faculty um, uh, before its time. It was just allowing it not to be extended beyond when it should be uh, and to allow the natural processes to, to take, their, uh, take their path. I think the mistake I made in retrospect was uh, acting on my uh, certainty uh, and you know, kind of pushing the de- the decision in that direction fairly quickly, not allowing my uh, stepmother and uh, brother and sister to uh, come to that sense of conclusion themselves in their own time. And the result of that was a fairly long period afterwards of uh, of them going through this questioning, did we do the right thing? Um, so that, in a sense, was my karmic consequence of uh, acting quickly based on a level of certi- uh, certitude, certainty uh, that, what was, uh, that that was the right decision, uh, having thought through it myself quite a lot beforehand and discussed it with my father. But um, just realizing that, you know, when it comes to these levels of decisions and we're looking at our intentions and we're looking at our motivations, that... Uh, it all is very. It, it behooves us to to be careful and to take our time with that, uh, and to allow and to be sensitive uh, to the world around us and the people who are we're sharing that with, uh, to make sure that um, things like that uh, are done uh, in a way that leaves uh, uh, a lot uh, fewer ambiguities, uh, and that people won't have to rehash it as much. Uh, as we did. But this is a a force that plays out or or that uh, pushes us uh, pushes us into action uh, in many different ways too. You know, the uh, pretty dramatic ones that I was talking about just as examples of uh, the quality of intention and motivation uh, but it, uh, the, that applies in pretty much anything that we do. And, and when we're looking at the ways that we want to develop ease and well-being in the heart and, and looking at our patterns, our established patterns of behavior uh, and the uh, intentions and motivations that cause us to act and speak, um, there's a lot of subtlety in there. Uh, and... Um, 
a lot of the process of choosing uh, what to develop and what to abandon in terms of skillful and unskillful qualities uh, depends on really clearly seeing that uh, motivation, uh, that intention behind uh, what we're doing. So you can have, say, an action of service or wanting to help uh, uh, and the quality of the effect on the mind uh, will be different depending on the motivation. So, you know, sometimes we want to do something uh, that's, say, an act of service or an act of giving, generosity. And um, if we look at it very clearly uh, and ask ourselves, well, why is it that I'm doing this? Why is it that I want to do that? Maybe we'll see that, oh, well, actually, I'm, I'm looking for some recognition I'm looking for some praise um, uh, from, from, from doing this. And then if we do that action, uh, even if it's a good, skillful action, something that's helpful, and we don't get that recognition or that validation from it, then we suffer a little bit, uh, maybe just a little bit or maybe a lot, depending on what it is and what our expectations were. But our motivation for doing something uh, skillful um, uh, can have unskillful results if we if we don't get it get what it is that that is we are that we are seeking. Whereas, say we do the same act, the exact same thing, uh, and we look at our motivation of well, I just enjoy doing it because it feels good and it makes somebody else happy, and when somebody else is happy, I'm happy too. It kind of ennobles the mind, as they say, uh, when that's the motivation then the, the result on the interior uh, is very different. The result on the exterior may be the same. Uh, the person feels good. Um, they appreciate the service or the, the generosity. Um, but the quality of the experience internally uh, is going to be different. And so whatever we do, whether it's an unskillful action or a skillful action, uh, let it be a mirror for, for the internal qualities that uh, we're trying to develop and see, see, um, see if we can sort of simplify our lives and see the, uh, the drives that are constantly pushing us uh, into action one way or another. We can, you know, oftentimes we do something that... Uh, in our heart of hearts, we might know is a bit unskillful, but we've got all these voices inside our, our head pointing us, you know, trying to justify why we need to do something, trying to establish a, a skillful motivation when it actually really isn't something so skillful, or trying to argue uh, uh, for doing something that may not be such a good thing to do. Ajahn Amaro used to refer to that as the internal lawyer uh, striking up a a discussion uh, uh, to try and convince you to do something, justifying things. So be aware when that internal lawyer is taking hold, uh, is uh, trying to uh, weasel uh, a justification out of uh, something that may be better not done. So these are the more subtle aspects of, of, of looking at intention, motivation,
then as, as the, our practice matures and as we get to see these uh, qualities of mind uh, a little more clearly, uh, we learn to act on uh, skillful intentions and motivations and to not act on the ones uh, that look like they're going to be leading to uh, harm in some way, even subtle harm. Um, then the mind becomes uh, more clear. Uh, we're starting to use our wisdom faculty. Uh, and that's what meditation really is all about. It's, it's getting quiet enough uh, in the mind to be able to see these subtle changes so that, or these subtle uh, tendencies so that we can choose to uh, increase uh, our responses that will give wholesome results, good results, results that lead to peace and clarity and, and understanding and kindness and compassion and to uh, not act on those impulses uh, that lead to uh, difficulty and suffering for ourselves and others, the, un- the unwholesome qualities. That's what meditation really is all about, is being able to see clearly uh, the choices that we have in terms of moving the mind towards uh, wholesome uh, and away from unwholesome uh, actions. And then further uh, developing uh, an awareness of uh, qualities that uh, the Buddha refers to as as the kama that leads to the end of kama, uh, so that we're not just choosing to uh, increase wholesome, karmically wholesome activities, but also ones that are so karmically wholesome that they lead... Uh, uh, us on the path to liberation. Essentially, those kinds of activities and actions um, that are part of the Noble Eightfold Path, that are are so skillful that they lead to the ending of Kama, the ending of the Kamak process altogether, the Eightfold Path. And uh, this quality of mindfulness and clear comprehension, these qualities uh, are what keeps us coming back to uh, really examining the mind and, and where we want to put our attention. And the more we slow down the mind, the, the process, and get to understand its motivations and its movements, um, there, there comes a quality of understanding. We start to see along the lines of the, the qualities of Dhamma more clearly, the, the clear arising and ceasing uh, of all uh, fabrications, of all constructions, uh, physical, mental. Uh, we start to get a, a hit on the quality of um, the arising and ceasing nature and also the... Uh, the aspect of not-self, the selfless nature of all of these qualities that we're talking about. Volition or, or intention, uh, keeping along that theme, is, is a very interesting one in that um, it often does come with a strong sense of, of self. You know, when you think about the reactions in the mind and the push of the mind, uh, that sense of, there is a sense of control that's at the, at the base of this perception of self, a sense of somebody who's in charge uh, and uh, has some control. Um, very strong 
basis for this perception of, of me or mine. And, you know, just as an example, again, of uh, when we're um, in contact and we have a very strong feeling coming up, say, of some uh, somebody that's doing something that's uh, unskillful uh, and it's affecting us in some way. And, you know, there rises up this energy uh, in, in the body and in the mind of, uh, I need to do something about this. I need to give this person some feedback. Uh, and that rising up of that volition to act, the volition, the intention to say something, has a very strong quality of self to it. Um, you know, it, uh, that, uh, that power to uh, say something or do something uh, is usually very much wrapped up with a sense of, of, of self. And so that, that even the, the quality of volition, the quality of, of intention, chaitana, uh, is what we say, well, it's like, you know, I am in charge of, of this response. I, am, I have the will, I have the uh, volition to, to make this happen. Um, but when we examine things more clearly, more quietly, we, we, we can actually see and catch that quality of volition and see, actually, it's just another dependently arising mental factor in and of itself. It's not, it's not me who's doing it. Because, um, you know, in the, in the Buddhist description of, of, of mind moments, it gets a little bit technical, but... You know, in any mind moment, you have uh, five qualities, uh, according to the Buddha. And the, the first three, contact, perception, and feeling, are sort of uh, what happens when we get some input, something comes through our mind, through the sense bases, a sight or a sound, and there's a moment of contact. Uh, we recognize that something's happening, and there's a feeling that goes along with it. It's usually pleasant or unpleasant, and some sort of perception of of what is happening. Um, uh, it, it's coming up from past conditioning. And then there's a moment where um, there's, a, you know, there's a, usually a little bit of a gap that we don't uh, see very often um, before there's a response to that. And it really depends on what the underlying tendency is. It's, it, it's in action at that point. If it's uh, irritation, if it's something that uh, had a past quality of irritation with it, or uh, there was a desire, something extremely desirable that's, that you're contacting and having a feeling about, a feeling of, of wanting, um, then it's that particular underlying tendency that rises up and takes control and conditions that volition, that intention to take some action. And there's a strong sense of self involved with that. But really, when you look at it, it's just, not just, but it's, 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 it's void of self. It's just this underlying tendency that's grabbing hold of a perception or a feeling and establishing a, an intention uh, to act on it, which will then produce a result of some sort, negative or positive. Consequently, there's also, we have the choice, and this is what the, tri- the mindfulness clear comprehension training is all about, 
uh, is to develop uh, the tendencies towards wisdom or towards compassion or towards any skillful qualities like patience so that those are the qualities that rise up uh, when there's an experience of some sort uh, that might need some action or might result in some action. And if it's those qualities that rise up instead of the greed, hatred, and delusion, if it's the qualities of wisdom and discernment, compassion um, that rise up, then the action that is taken, the volition that arises, is going to steer us down a skillful track. So, and then there is a result from that, too. So you can see, actually, teasing it out, the more clearly you can see this process happening, the more you see that it's really just a series of mental factors uh, that are all uh, playing off against each other. Uh, And we have a certain amount of control as to uh, what we remember, the mindfulness, bringing up the quality of mindfulness and the direction um, that we that we put it in through our attention. Uh, after intention, we usually shift uh, our attention to a, an object of some sort or a behavior of some sort. And um, there is a you know a modicum of control into uh, uh, what we remember to attend to, whether it's the skillful qualities or what we allow ourselves to attend to in terms of the unskillful qualities that rise up. But teasing these out as just mental factors that are dependently arising constantly over and over and over again can give us this perspective of, of uh, there's no independent agent who's controlling all of this. Uh, it's a series of mental factors that are rising and passing away, rising and passing away, uh, that we can develop uh, certain skills around. So that we still live and react and experience the world. We still have our joys and sorrows, our pleasantness and the unpleasantness. Uh, We make our mistakes. uh, We learn from them. uh, And and there's choices of how we direct our attention and direct our uh, intentions to uh, produce more skill and and balance. Um, uh, And... uh, we have a growing sense that uh, uh, there doesn't have to necessarily be associated with this sense of me or mine. There's a certain, uh, not just a certain, there's a huge amount of freedom that comes from that, uh, stepping back from um, this uh, self-perception. One still acts, one still intends, uh, but it's uh, based on wisdom, discernment, and clarity, rather than confusion and ignorance. So, you know, back to the, my original thought of uh, how to use the Dhamma and the Vinaya together uh, is not just uh, the teachings and the training as separate as, as, as separate things, but they're very well they're very much integrated. So that how we choose 
to train our minds through body and speech activities, uh, the Vinaya, uh, the Code of Discipline, the precepts, uh, has a very, very strong uh, effect on our Dhamma uh, practice, our Dhamma considerations. They work together. Uh, The Dhamma really doesn't work without uh, the Vinaya or the precepts, and the the precepts really, uh, they would just be uh, meaningless and empty you know, activities without uh, the teachings uh, that are directing us uh, in terms of uh, understanding the cause of suffering and the end of suffering. So this is a, just a, a way of saying how to use uh, the practice of, of uh, training our body and our speech uh, to see how uh, it affects the mind and how we can use them both synergistically to uh, take us uh, fully to, uh, to liberation. So I'll leave it there for a few comments this evening.